Hey there, and welcome to the One Church Podcast. This message was recorded live at one of our services. If you'd like to know more about life at One Church, visit us online at weareone.church or check us out on social media. Um, I want to take you to uh, a scripture in Mark chapter 8. And uh, this, this passage has come out of my daily devotions. And uh, genuinely, I'm just going to take you through what's going on in my mind when I read my Bible in the morning. And, uh, and maybe for some people, this will help you think about how you can dig into the Word of God yourself, how you can learn to, to read the Bible and get something out of it. For others, uh, others of you, uh, I'm hoping that some of the nuggets of gold that I, I dig out today will help you today. Uh, what, what I'm overall hoping as a church, we will grasp something of what God is saying, not just to me individually, but what is God saying to us as a community? And that's my goal today, to, to help you grasp of the, this thought that God wants to speak to us every single day. And God is speaking to us as a church. Both those things are happening simultaneously. So let's go to this passage of scripture. There's only four or five verses. Uh, so I can read this uh, and follow this with me. And then let's dig into it together and see what God says to us. Are you happy to go on this journey? Yeah. Give me a wave if you're happy to go on this journey. Yeah, thank you. That's good. Okay then, Mark chapter 8, verse 22, it said, and this is in the New International Version, they came to Bethsaida and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go to the village. Now, when I read the Bible, and I read a little passage like that, my brain starts to go, ask a million questions like the obvious question is why did he spit on the man's eyes <laughs> uh, and actually like the, the real question is what is this guy thinking because he doesn't see it coming does he literally like he's standing there like that <laughs> oh, did you just spit <laughs> can, can you uh, can you imagine this interaction that's going on right here like uh, he is meeting with the son of God like this guy has a reputation of a great rabbi and he's standing there in anticipation and then <laughs> he's like what's going on in his head who were the people who uh, brought these, this man to Jesus? Were they friends, family? Were they like the guys who carried a friend on a bed sheet? You know the one where they, where they carried him and, and they took him onto a roof and opened the top of the roof and lowered him through? Were they like those types of friends? Or was it just a type of family like, for goodness sake, sort him out, will you? How, were they desperate friends? Were they, uh, were they faith-filled friends? What was going on? Was it family? Was it his wife going, it's 
so him out with it. Why did Jesus not heal him in the village? Why did Jesus take him out of the village? What's going on here? Why did he allow all the people to stand around? When he went to Jairus' house, he sent everybody out. But this time, everybody's milling around. How do we know? Because when his eyes did open, he saw people walking around like trees. So this is, he didn't take it out for a private reason. He took it out into a public setting. What's going on here? What's happening? Why, why didn't he get healed straight away? Why did he see people walking like trees? What's going on? And why? Why does it say three times at the end, three descriptions of the healing of being blind? When every, every other time he just goes, and he got healed, and he could see. But this time his eyes were open, his sight was restored, like, and he could see everything clearly. What? These are questions that I ask when I'm reading my Bible. And what I encourage you to do is when you open your Bible, this is not like some kind of checklist on your to-do chores. Just pause a moment. What is going on? What's happening here? Is it possible that Jesus might be trying to speak to me? What is the writer trying to tell me behind these words? The writer, in this case Mark, who's written 16 chapters, he's trying to communicate something, not just. This is not an insurance claim. He's like literally trying to write some stuff to help us understand it. What is he, if you've ever done English Lit, they tell you, don't just read the poem. Try and understand the poem. Try and imagine you're the writer. Imagine you're a daffodil. You've got to do the same thing here. Try and understand the writer. Do you know there's all sorts of apps and there's all sorts of books that will help you. But before you go and read the books, before you go and read the app, ask yourself the question. You've got a direct connection with the author of the author. And he wants to minister to you. Now, I love these every day with Jesus, read, read a passage, read a scripture, and someone tells you what they think is going on. There's nothing wrong with that. But what if your questions wrote a narrative in your own discipleship journey where you were growing because you had a little bit of revelation for yourself? Wouldn't that be marvellous? Wouldn't that be incredible? What if that could happen instead of once a year, what if that happened once a month or once a week? Or what if that could happen every single day? Yeah. So you just had a little bit of revelation that was enough to go for the 24 hours. That's available to you. And this is how I read my Bible. This was in my daily reading. And those questions are the questions that I asked. So Jesus turns up at Bethsaida. This is a, a little town, a little village north of the Sea of Galilee. The town means um, a place of fishermen. There you go. That didn't help me. <laughs> we don't know who the people who came out. We don't know whether they were friends or family. All right, they certainly had concern for the man. And they had some faith that Jesus could heal him. I was perplexed. 
why Jesus took him out of the town? I started to go, why didn't he heal him there and then? What was going on here? Maybe the writer's trying to get us to see something more than meets the eye. And as I sat there and thought about it, I realised this is what was going on. The issue wasn't to do directly with the man's sight. The problem wasn't just the lack of sight. The problem was the lack of vision. The problem, the man thought the problem was, I'm blind. The problem that Jesus saw was that you were stuck in a small-minded mentality. He thought, if I could see, I could solve my problems. Jesus said, if I could get you out of your smallness of thinking then you can open your eyes to the problems. There's two stories going on here. One is the one that he wanted Jesus to fix. The other was the purpose of the man's life that Jesus needs to fix so that when his eyes were properly opened, they were open to the real need of what he was called to. Do you see what's going on here? There was something about his, this geography, this setting, this village that represented small-mindedness. And it didn't fit the purpose for this man. The man's purpose wasn't just restricted by a lack of sight. It was restricted by a small mindset. In our world, we call it village or small-town mentality. Those of us who live in the country, we call the townsfolk city slickers. Those who live in the cities tend to call the country locals, yokels. The truth is, it has nothing to do with geography and everything to do with mentality. Nothing to do with geography and everything to do with mentality. And like an arrow to my heart, felt God speak to me. I need to take you out of your small-mindedness and show you what I need you to see. Now, my list of things that I want Jesus to work on, that wasn't top at all. I have a whole great list of things that I'd like Jesus to fix, mainly other people, because they're the problems in my life. I know you're, you're far more perfect than me. If you could do this, Jesus, I could do this. If, I, if you sorted this out, I could do this. If, if you did this, Jesus, I need you to sort this, Jesus. This is a difficult thing. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. These things are important. But sometimes we've got to allow Jesus to take us out of our village mentality so that when he does fix this, we don't go back to where we were. The Urban Dictionary describes small town syndrome as <laughs> when someone has lived so long in a small town that they form a sense of entitlement 
to themselves and act as if there isn't a relevant world outside of their town. What, what I'm going to say now doesn't sound great, so just go with me. Someone with small town syndrome usually is majorly concerned with gossip and events only happening with people in their town and let their life revolve around such meaningless rumours. They act as if life is high school. Parents and adults and children all engage in clicky behaviour. People in small town syndrome usually don't realise they act this way and may be insulted if you point it out. <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is harsh, isn't it? Like, sense of entitlement, majorly concerned with gossip, events only happening in their town, clicky behaviour. That's not us, right? That's not us. Well, it is, if we're on social media. I, could, I thought that was a pin. Yes, it is a pin. I heard a pin drop. Well, I don't do that TikTok stuff. I only do Facebook. Isn't it amazing how quickly you can get caught up in a storm that's so big it wouldn't even fit on the teaspoon, let alone in the teacup? And the world swirls around us and it's a very, very small world, but we're caught up in it because someone did or didn't like what we said. By the way, I've been cloned. If you get a message from me asking for money to some African outlet, that, and of course if you give it to me, you'll be blessed, and if you don't, you'll be cursed. Can I just say it's not me? Someone has literally cloned my account and is asking people for money. They've literally copied photos off my account and set up an exact copy of my account. They have pictures of my wife and children on their account. Sorry about that. But please don't give any money to them. If you've got spare money, give it to me. Like, don't. <laughs> but please. Don't. But the amount of people who've contacted me say, uh, there's some people, ha ha, you've been cloned. Right? And there are other people going, is this you? I'm like, what? <laughs> You have known me for 30 years. <laughs> Since when have I become that person? If you give, I have five million pounds to give away, but if you give me your bank details, I'll send it into your account. Since when have I become that person? You don't know me at all. This fella had no news channel. Back to Mark chapter 8 here. No social media. He just sat beside the road begging all day listening to the gossip of others, wishing he could have their lives. Stop reading someone's messages and wishing you had their lives. If I could see, I could do this, this, this. And that's true. If, if my blindness was cured, I could do this, this, this and this. And he listens to everything that's going around in this village, in this smallness of the world that he's in. Wishing he could have their lives, but here's the catch. Their lives were small. They had sight, but no vision beyond their immediate world. 
And Jesus has a bigger vision and a bigger purpose for you than you can possibly ever ask or imagine. If you could just stop comparing yourself to other people's worlds, if you could stop with this mentality, this smallness of mentality, and allow Jesus to take you by the hand and take you out of this place. You see, Jesus needs to restore your vision before he restores your sight. Jesus needs to restore your vision before he restores your sight. Uh, Sorry, this is so good. I need to say it again. Jesus needs to restore your vision before he restores your sight. He is working. And if you allow him to, he will take you by the hand. We can all easily get caught up in small-mindedness. We can easily all get caught up in self-centeredness. Ironically, it can be a safe place for us. We know where we sit. And for some of us, it's the same seat every Sunday. It's the same patterns every day. And our vision has become small. Our faith has become safe but stale. Our prayers are selfish. And the dreams are filed away and marked unresolved. But here's the news. Jesus is in town today maybe you're here because of a friend's faith someone's brought you today maybe you're here because of your spouse's faith or your parents faith but I want to declare this is your moment allow Jesus to take you by the hand and lead you out of the smallness of thinking into a new space of thinking Now, this is scary. Can you imagine the guy going, whoa, what's going on here? What's happening? Where where are we going? Just trust me. Yeah, I do trust you. I just want to know. Well, that's not trust. Well, yeah, I'm still going. I'm still going. Where are we going? Where are we going, Jesus? Where are we doing? This would be so much easier if you healed me. All the stuff I'm missing... I've stayed in this place for so long, I now feel very insecure. Jesus says, just come with me. I'll take you to a spacious place. Helen Keller, who is a a blind writer, says this, the only thing worse than being blind is having sight but no vision. When Abby, my daughter, was 13... Um, we had issues. Still have, but uh, <laughs> and if you've if you've been around me for a while, you'll know. Like I described uh, my daughter as a a mix of Mother Teresa and Lady Gaga. <laughs> She'd either wake up very selfless, Mother Teresa. Or very selfish, Lady Gaga. She's such a drama queen. And uh, when she was 13, we were quite concerned about this. And uh, uh, my wife and I were talking about how, how do we, how do we positively affirm the Mother Teresa in her? 
rather than just keep having a go at her for the Lady Gaga in her. It's easy to pick on that, right? Much harder to affirm the good things. And uh, so we came up with this idea that uh, Ali and Abby would go to the Philippines. We had a contact there who uh, worked with people in the poorest of poor situation. They, they worked on the, the, the dumps there and they would collect rubbish from the dumps and try and salvage some rubbish and try and sell that on for some cash. And, uh, and we thought it'd be great for our 13-year-old, how mad is this, to go and just see what it was like to live in that kind of world. Well, that turned into one mother and daughter, into several mothers and daughters who went on the same trip. Uh, some of you are in the room today. It was risky. It's risky to take a 13-year-old out of high school and then put her in that environment. But we wanted her to have a bigger view of the world. We wanted her to see what was happening and to literally live in the poorest of poor. And you know what? It was a life-changing experience for her. It is risky, and there is no way around this. It is risky to move from your safe place to go out there. But Jesus wants to open your eyes to something bigger than ever before. So maybe joining a mission is your new space. I feel God's spoken to me as a church leader to make sure, God's, I feel God's saying, Stop being safe. Go and plant some churches. Not just a church. I feel God saying to me, always be talking about planting a church. So when you've planted a church, start thinking about planting a church. And the church that you've planted, talk to them so that they're thinking about planting a church. So that we're constantly planting a church. Can, can I help you understand how awkward that feels for me? Let alone for you. We will now, from now on, be planting churches. That is not a safe space to be in. But I need to change my thinking to grasp what God is saying. And this is the journey that we're on. I'm on this journey, this church is on this journey, and God is speaking to us. Maybe just serving on a team. You're no longer a guest when you start helping with the washing up. And a bit of dangerous generosity doesn't go amiss. So these are the things that I feel God is speaking to me about. Then why did he spit on, why did he spit on the man's eyes? I can only think that there was a shock. And, and I think that the gospel is now going to come to us as, as, a, as a community. And it's now going to stand out like a shock. I, we are, there's some of the things we believe in are no longer socially acceptable. We are now starting to stand out and stand out as a, a bit weird socially. Like Jesus stood out a bit weird socially. There are some things that are going to feel like being spat in the eye. And the church is going to have to stand and say, this is what we believe in. This is what we stand for and this is what we're about. And over the next few months, this is going to become clearer and clearer as there's a divide between social trends and who 
Christ has called us to be. And the gospel will stand out and it will feel like a spit in the eye. And I feel like this is what God's saying to us. The gospel is offensive. In a world where everyone is vying for equality, the gospel discriminates. But it discriminates equally. Because the Bible says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. No one gets special treatment. There's no mention in the Gospels where people came to Jesus and Jesus changed. When people came to Jesus, they changed. No change, no Jesus. But here's the good news. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son and whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Ask the question why the blind man wasn't healed first time around. And my simple thought here was this. Jesus didn't want, he doesn't want us to see people like projects, like trees. He wants to see people with compassion. People are human beings, not human doings. I haven't got time to open that one. Let me bring this to an end. Jesus puts his hands on the man's eyes and now he lasers into the felt need. Why does the writer emphasise the healing three times? Some commentators say because he healed the socket. He literally created eyeballs before he could see and the three stages of healing came into play. That's a very much a possibility. But I, I think the writer, Mark, talks about trying to create Jesus to creation. To see something that's so much bigger than the moment. So when Jesus is healing the man, he's actually healing the creation that he started with in the beginning. So the restoration of eyesight is to do with the restoration of vision. And so when Jesus says there's three levels of healing, I think the three levels of healing that go on in our lives that we can take away today is number one, look up. Look up. Let your heart be full of worship. Let your heart be full of gratefulness. Today, everything has been about our worship to Jesus as we look up and we adore him. When I was a, when I was a child, there was a man who used to sit in the front row of the church. And as he stood there, he, his name was Norman. And he used to blow kisses. And we used to giggle. We used to point, look, there he is, that strange man again. He used to, in worship, he used to blow kisses up, up, up to heaven. <laughs> we used to go, what a weirdo. What a weirdo. Until you realise the, wor- the word worship comes from a word, proscunio. And proscunio means to kiss towards. This man couldn't read, he couldn't write. He, he was rescued from a dr- life of drugs and crime. And he understood worship better than me, who'd grown up in church all my life. He knew that worship was to kiss towards. Wow, what a lesson in life. 
And when the Bible says, as the deer pants for the water, like, this is someone who, who's writing, who lives in a desert condition. If you've ever been in Egypt, you start to understand what it is to be thirsty. If you've ever been on holiday and it's been hotter than 40 degrees then you know what it means to be thirsty. Imagine that you can't go to the shop and get some water. Imagine you can't turn a tap on. You have to find a well. As the deer pants for the water, as a man pants for water, as a woman pants for water in a desert, so my soul longs after you. Can you understand the desperation of someone who's so thirsty? On your hottest day in Great Britain, 1977, like the hottest day in Great Britain of our lives. You're going, oh, couldn't I have to do with an ice cream? The writer of the Bible's going, that's how you worship. That's how you worship. That's how you worship where you're so thirsty that you have to get a drink. Look up. Second, look in. Look in. Look in. Look after yourself. Please look after yourself. Please take, take some time. You know the expression, before you put the mask on your child, put the oxygen mask on yourself. Take time to get God's word inside of you. Take time to pray. Take time for your own personal development. Grow yourself. Feed yourself on God's word. And lastly, look out. Look out. There's a world that God wants you to see that's bigger than the world you're in. The last thing that Jesus said to the man, he said, don't go back to the village. Don't go back to your mentality. Go home. Now, the last time Jesus said that was to a man who was healed of a thousand demons. And he was living in a graveyard and Jesus took the demons out of the man and put them into a herd of pigs and they ran off the cliff. And it was an amazing miracle and this man was totally transformed. And the whole village came out to see this and they saw the, uh, what Jesus had done. And, and uh, the man says to Jesus, Jesus, let me go with you. I want to go with you now. I want to be a true follower of you. I, and, uh, and Jesus says, well, I'm not so sure that's a great idea. And the man says, I want to go with you. I, I could be your a warm-up man. I could tell the story of what you've done in my life. And I could be an amazing like, story. I could get up there and say, look what Jesus has done. Ladies and gentlemen, to the platform. Jesus Christ I could do that for you I could help you and, and Jesus says no go home go home what, what's the point of going home you've just taken me out of the village and you've taken me into a, a new space where you've opened my mind to what is possible how on earth is it a good idea to go home Surely there are enough nations that need Jesus. I could go here. I could go there. I could do anything. I could, I could even go to Stroud. <laughs> Jesus said, go home. Go home. And he's like... I thought you brought me out of the village so I could make a massive difference. And you're saying to me, 
go home. Let me tell you where the biggest miracle of what Jesus has done in your life is noticed. With the people who know you the most. We can't fake it with our spouses. Our kids know the truth, right? When you go home and say, Jesus has changed me, they'll say, okay, let's see what happens now. Let's see what happens now. Maybe you've been to a children's camp or a youth camp and you've come home and said, Jesus has changed me. And your parents go, that's fantastic. Go and do the washing up. You're like, nah. Jesus changed me. Can you go and change your bedroom as well, please? Jesus changed me. Okay, let's see if that changes your drinking problem. Jesus changed me. Let's see how much you worry about what other people say about you on Facebook. When Jesus changes you, go home because that's where you have the greatest impact of the goodness of God in your life. Look what Jesus has done in me. And your friends and your family will say, wow, what's happened here? And then you learn to share your story as you look out. And then you take a next step as you start to share it with your cousins and your friends. And you take the next step. And before you know it, you're in Jerusalem and in Samaria and in the uttermost parts of the earth. So Jesus wants to take us as a church from a small mentality. Wants to take the worship team from a small mentality. Wants to take the leadership team from a small mentality. Wants to take the entire church from a small mentality. And if you feel a bit nervous about that, can you get in the queue behind me, please? But I'm up for it. But the miracle starts in your heart first. Are you going to allow Jesus to take you out of your small mentality? Because he wants to restore your vision before he restores your sight. He wants to restore your purpose before he fixes the immediate need in your mind. And how do we do this? Look up. Look in. Look out. You know, if each one of us just chose 10 people, just chose 10 people, and said, I'm going to pray for those 10 people every day. I'm going to pray that Jesus impacts their life in my home life, my immediate home. And you pray for those 10 people. There's about 160 people here, plus online. 160 times 10. You can do the math, it's easy. What if those 10 people became moments of where you could share your faith or at least care for them? You pray for them and you share with them and you care with them. What if that was the, the point? 
just look out with what God, when God takes you out, look up, look in, look out. Let's just pray. just going to pray for us as a church and say God will you help will you help take me from this safe space I'm going to trust you that you're going to lead me to a new space as I pray if that's you if you raise your hand I know I'm praying for you Heavenly Father I believe you're taking us from a safe space to a new space you're taking us from a space where we have a small mindedness to a space where you are growing our thinking to the world of possibility I believe that you are ministering to people by your glory right now in the name of Jesus. As leaders of a church, as, as owners of this church, as, as members of this church, as partners in this church, Father, will you take us from this space that we're in to a new space for the glory of God. Thank you. Put your hand out. just want to pray. If you're here for, for the first time and you, and you, you this thing about the gospel, I want to become a follower of Christ. If you want to respond to this and say, yes, I would like to follow Jesus. I want to be a follower of Jesus. I believe that he came to rescue me, to set me free. I want to experience what it means to be a Christ follower. If you just raise your hands, please, right now, I want to pray for you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Jesus. That's it, you can put your hands down. Father, I pray, Lord, that each person here will know the truth of being a follower of Christ. I pray that each person here will know what it means to have their sins forgiven, to have a restoration of who they are meant to be in their purpose in Christ, in the name of Jesus. And Father, I ask you now, as we look up, as we lift you high, as we look in, as we grow in our discipleship and as we look out, help us to be people who are led by your Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, amen.